Welcome to Sports Talk with R and J. I'm your host, Steve Risser, along with my co-host, Justin Anafrio. And unfortunately, we have to start today's show uh, talking about the passing of Don Shula. On Monday, uh, Shula passed away at the age of 90, and he was one of the greatest coaches in NFL history. Coached for 33 years with the Colts and the Dolphins. Um, coached the Colts from 1963 to 1969, the Dolphins from 1970 to uh, uh, 1995 and I mean he won two Super Bowls I mean most notably he won Super Bowl seven which which was which winning that game the Dolphins clinched an undefeated season the only team to ever go undefeated and then he he, then they repeated in Super Bowl eight so he won back-to-back Super Bowls he had he also had four other Super Bowl appearances one he would rather forget he was the coach of the Colts in Super Bowl three when they lost the Jets that was the first time in in a and and and, and, uh, AFL team beat an NFL team and uh, he also got to, to, to uh, five Super Bowl appearances. My mistake there. He also got to two other Super Bowls with the Dolphins. He lost. He lost uh, in. Uh, he lost in '82, in '80, in '84. Lost in '82 to the Redskins. That big game with John Riggins. '84 to Joe Montana and the 49ers. And then obviously, oh yes, yeah, six. I was right. I was right originally six. And then he lost Super Bowl six to the Cowboys, 24-3. And, before, and the interesting part of that game was before. Uh, before the Rams-Patriots Super Bowl, that was the only team not to score a touchdown in that Super Bowl. But Don Shula, one of the greatest coaches of all time, 347 wins, uh, 328 in the regular season. But the biggest thing I, I take away from Don Shula is the way Don Shula was able to evolve. The way, you know, he started out with uh, with Johnny United, one of the best quarterbacks of all time. So the Colts were more of a passing team in the 60s. And uh, then in the 70s, he was he coached the Dolphins, which were more of a running team. With with he had Bob Greasy as quarterback, who was a really good quarterback, but they were more of a running team. They ran that '72 team ran behind Larry Zon, Larry Zonka and Mercury Morris, one of the one of the best backfields of all time. I mean, those are two Hall of Famers right there. You had Mercury Morris and uh, uh, Larry Zonka, two two Hall of Famers right there. And then after that era ended, he moved into Yates and he had Dan Marino, and he had and with and in those days the Dolphins barely ever ran the ball. They were a passing team with Dan Marino. With Mark Duper, Mark Clayton, with Clay, with the Marks brothers, Mark Duper and Mark Clayton and Dan Marino, they were a passing team. So, the, my biggest takeaway of Don Shula, why he was such a great coach, was the willingness to evolve throughout the years, and that, that was and that, that that was my biggest takeaway from Don Shula. What you know, I know uh, we both not, didn't see Don Shula coach because I, I was four years old old when he retired. But and we know Justin, you you weren't you weren't alive when he was coaching. So, from what you've you've heard about Don Shula, what's your takeaway from Don Shula? Yeah, evolving is definitely the way he evolved. Definitely was what you know, like my biggest takeaway from um from one year when um uh, when they won the Super Bowl, you know, the undefeated season, where they threw the ball nine times that game to where they were throwing forty times a game. back yeah, in the nineties, just you know, being able to take play to team strength, especially when you're Dan Marino is your quarterback, you're throwing around the ball. But the other thing I really want to take away from Don Shula, I took away from him, is twenty eight out of his thirty seasons. They were his teams had above above 500 records. The only two years were 76, and then um 88 were the only two years that they finished under 500. And I felt like that was really something that was impressive. Um, they to to be able to do that for so long, just you know, constant winning. Um, because especially now, uh, since the Dolphins really haven't had. And much success after Don Shula. They've had one or two good seasons, but that's really been about it. They haven't been able to find that replacement for him. So that was something I really took away was 20 winning seasons. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the, th the thing about Shula is it wasn't for the 90s Bills, because the 90s Bills were the biggest thorn in Shula's side uh, d d uh, during his career. I mean, I'd say even start early 80s, but when they had Jim Kelly Levy, because they beat it, they playoffs a couple of And you never know, without those 90s, maybe he has a Super Bowl too. So that, that was the big thorn in, in late in his career. Yeah, well, they were, um, it was. It definitely was because that Bills team um, in the early '90s, yeah, definitely. Um, he definitely had a shot. Maybe you know, if he could have got by them to get another one with uh, Dan Marino. Yeah, and that's the one knock on Shu. That's why he's probably not in that class with the Bill Belichick. Unfortunately, he's not in that class with the Bill Belichick's, the Chuck Knowles, and the Bill Walsh's. Is Dan Marino? Yeah, and you could say how good Marino was or not. You know, it's debatable. Even if he, even if he's a top ten quarterback, or not. But in my opinion, even though he Super Bowl, I feel like he's the best quarterback to he's the best quarterback to never win a Super Bowl. And I feel like he's still a top ten quarterback of all time. That's the one knock on Don Shula is he, he did get to one eighty four with them, lost to the 49ers, didn't win a Super Bowl with Dan Marino. So that's just the one knock on Shula why he's not in, why he's an outstanding head coach, one of the greatest coaches of all time. But that's for some people, that's why he's not in the Belichick, no Walsh class or Lombardi class of head coaches. Yeah, to have a Super Bowl court or to have a um, quarterback like Dan Marino not be able to, you know, get a ring with him is tough. But, you know, the consistency of winning, he's still right there with, you know, I feel like with most coaches, you know, um, pretty much around the league and in history because of, you know, the constant winning. But it, it, you know, it is kind of a surprise he was not able to win one with Dan Marino. Um, but you know, it, it is a kind of a knock on a little bit of a knock to his legacy, but, um, you know, still just an outstanding coach, very outstanding coach. Oh, without question. Uh, 347 wins is the most in this, in, in, uh, in, in, of any coach. I mean, coach obviously for 33 years, the willingness to evolve. And he still was pretty connected to the dolphins or obviously still very connected to the dolphins or his organization. I mean, man, all the Dolphin players spoke so highly of him. I mean, Jordan uh, Marino, he spoke so highly of him. So many people. And he was just such a, a classy guy. Just everything what was right for the NFL. That's why, you know, it was such a sad day on Monday just to see him pass away because he was just such a classy guy. And he really – he was – really a, a, a symbol for everything what was right about the NFL. And still, and what they can never take away from him is he still is the only coach to, to uh, in, the, in the merger, the only coach to coach an undefeated, to go an undefeated team. Not for the, throughout the regular season, but through the regular season and the postseason, the only coach to coach an undefeated team. And, and, every, and every year, whenever the team loses, especially in 2007 with the Patriots, they're always toasting that champagne. They're all oh. knowing that – since the 72 Dolphins, there hasn't been a season. A team undefeated. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that that's impressive to go undefeated in an NFL season. It, it really is how much, you know, wear and tear it does take on you throughout the season. It's it, really impressive. And then also what you're saying, yeah, I've never, you know, I haven't heard one person say anything bad about Don Chua, you know, classy guys, you know, with the media, all that doesn't, you know, didn't really have a slip up either with media, just did everything the right way. Um, you know, which every, you know, everybody should be able to do that, but um, it doesn't always happen. But he, you know, he was a class guy. He sure absolutely was. So we're going to get into the NFL news this week, and we're going to start with the Cowboys, who signed a quarterback, but it wasn't Dak Prescott. It's Andy Dalton, and they signed him to be their backup. And this is an interesting move because here, seven million, but this is interesting move because now with the negotiations between 
Jerry Jones and Dak Prescott. Jerry Jones got a little bit more leverage now because he's he's not before they signed Andy Dalton, they were going into the season start with Cooper Rush being their star back. But now, yeah, I don't think the Cowboys are a player, but a total, they're not a total joke. Fifteen when Romo got hurt, like they, where they couldn't win a game, they could win six games with Andy Dalton as their starter with the weapons they have on offense. That's why right now I, I, I'm I'm pretty sure Cowboys are going to sign Dak. I think that's pretty obvious that they're going to come up with a deal. But now the leverage is a little bit more in Jerry's hands from what he does with that contract with Dak Prescott, seeing that they signed Andy Dalton. Yeah, it is. It was an interesting move. It was a move that I didn't really see coming at all. It is. And um, well, with everything going on, too, with all this uh, COVID stuff, if that $31 million deal is on the table, I'm surprised Dak hasn't taken it because now if you – do lose have to lose a couple games this year um you're not making much revenue and con, the con, you know player contract may have to come down so you know that Dak's best offer could be that 31 million um which kind of surprises me that the, he maybe hasn't signed that yet but um it's a very you know it's a very interesting move and now it does kind of put a little bit of pressure on Dak saying hey we got a guy right behind you here you know you want to sign that uh deal um but with the weapons they have, you know, it again, you know, any you know, any quarterback can go in there and have, you know, a pretty good year. And um Andy Dolan actually played against the uh Cowboy or the Cowboys offensive coordinator Count Moore in the two thousand ten Fiesta Bowl, T C versus Boise. So uh you don't really see that too often. Uh O C you know, had played against like a quarterback in a big game like that. You don't really, you know, see that. Uh, it's come was only still, I think he's late thirties or something, mid 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 thirties. Um, now I thought that was kind of cool to they actually play against each other, but it you know it was a weird pickup for the Cowboys, but I guess they really did need a backup quarterback, because you know um, Cooper Rush isn't really that good. Um, you know he hasn't played a bunch. Uh, he well he does have a bunch of experience, um, but. You know, it's a it's a good pickup for the Cowboys if they really can't get this thing done with Dak. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think they're gonna get it done with Dak, and by no means is Andy Dalton close to as good right now as Dak Prescott is. Dak Prescott is clearly better than Andy Dalton. Even at Andy Dalton's peak, he was a, an above average quarterback at best. He put up numbers in the regular season, but a big reason why he put up those numbers though is look at the guys he had around him. He had AJ Green healthy. He had Marvin Jones. He had Andrew Whitworth at left tackle. He had Kevin Zeitler. He had Tyler Eifert healthy. Look at all the – I know I see the graphics on the board. He's the franchise record in passing yards and passing touchdowns and career passing touchdowns. I get it. But let's be honest. He was not bad. He's not better than Carson Palmer, okay? He's not he's, – he does not hold a candle to Boomer Esiason, who was the MVP of the NFL in 19 – he was the NFL MVP in 1988 and led the Bengals to a Super Bowl. He's not as good as Kenny Anderson. He's clearly the fourth-best quarterback in that franchise's history. So, yeah, I, I get the I get the all, the all the the statistics and the numbers, but you've seen over the last four years, from 2016 to 2019, those statistics have gone down because the guys around him have not been as good. And let's, let's and in the playoffs, Andy Dalton has been absolutely pathetic, pathetic in the postseason. And four postseason starts, one touchdown, six picks. He's and he's had some pathetic postseason performances. I mean, 2011, he had three picks and his three picks that game in 2000. And, and 13 against the Chargers. I mean, he just has had some absolutely pathetic postseason performances. I mean, to be honest, at his peak, 
he he's an above he's not even a good quarterback he's an above average quarterback yes he has all those records for passing yards and touchdowns but he's an above average quarterback at his peak but i would i would not consider andy dalton i would never consider andy dalton yes he's lasted there nine he lasted nine years with the Bengals, but that's a bad organization giving that quarterback a second contract that's what i feel like that is i'm not saying he's terrible he's he's average to above average but this should be no threat no threat to Dak prescott if Dak prescott just Dak prescott's in camp at, at all at all it shouldn't but it's jerry jones though that's you know i you never know what jerry could pull out of his hat you know i you, you never know um but yeah you know he was an um above average because yeah the Bengals did a great job getting weapons around them um and then you know last few years a lot of those guys got injured yeah, got yeah they, had, they had to pay them that was the problem yeah. and the, they, they couldn't sign Marvin Jones they couldn't sign Andrew Whitworth they couldn't sign Kevin Zeitler that was the problem yeah it was you know it, and Green's been banged up the last few years Eifert's been banged up you know he hasn't played much either um the last couple of years but yeah the four playoff appearance he has not been great in and it's something to worry about for him, but um, yeah, it it's not a bad idea for the Cowboys to go out and get somebody just in case, even if that does does get hurt. But yeah, the um, Dalton's probably you know I I do think Carson Palmer is better than you know Andy Dalton, you know if they, you know um, yeah I'm, because Dalton I think had a little bit better weapons than Palmer did around him. I mean Palmer had had Johnson and TJ Husmansada, but. I feel like you saw Carson Palmer later on his career. You saw that season he had in Arizona. Tell me that Andy Dalton's going to have another, going to have a season like that late in his career. He's not. That's why I would, I would, if I had, if I had my choice of the two, I'm taking Carson Palmer. And one of the playoff games, his first playoff game, Carson Palmer had the chance to play and he got hurt as well. So, and so I, I think, yeah, I think that the Bengals had a better roster. I, you know, the roster was decent around uh, Carson Palmer. wasn't as good on the defensive side of the ball. I think the Bengals had definitely a better roster around Dalton. And that's why Dalton was winning winning, you know, nine, winning 10, winning 10, 11 games and just having that success. But I, I still, I would definitely still take Carson Palmer. I, I, and then I've never been really an Andy Dalton guy. I, I don't you think he's, and I've said, I think he's average to above average, but he's not a guy I felt like that really deserved a second contract. And he did because the Bengals thought after those first three seasons, they were winning a lot of games, an organization that wasn't used to winning on a consistent basis. They were winning all those games. They thought, okay, we'll give him a second contract. But that ended up turning into being a mistake because you saw him fall off those last four years. Yeah, he did. And, you know, the guys kind of around him, as you said, they didn't pay him. Um, guys got kind of banged up hurt. And, yeah, you, you know, and the production went down. You can see a lot, you know, last year, two years ago, that um, they have not been good the last few years um, since their last playoff appearance, um, which is, you know, sad they wasn't able in four games to get them a playoff win since – Last one was 94. They had the longest active streak. No, no, no. It was uh, ni- 19. I think it was 1990 last playoff one. 1990. For the Bengals, yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, yeah, because it's 29 years. I don't know what I was I was thinking there. Yeah, because it's I mean, they could have won that playoff game in 15 to the Steelers. Yeah. That was a game Dalton actually got hurt. And that's another thing with saying Dalton's a great quarterback. They were close to winning a playoff game with A.J. McCarron. Okay, so you're going to sit there and say, oh, Dalton, a really good quarterback. Come on now. I mean, that's why that's, uh, that, that, that should prove it right there. Yeah, no, they were they were right there. Um, they, you know, uh, in fifteen when he got hurt, but um, or and yeah, McCarron was stopped in and beat, beat uh, got the got the win. But um, yeah, it shows. Yeah, he he was decent. You know, he's a decent above average. It he's a good back. He's he's a very good backup, and a, he could be a very good backup and a 
okay starter, decent starter. Um, you know, he can, you know, he can be good if you get some weapons around him, which the Cowboys have. Um, but you know, I would, but that's really about it. You know, decent. At yeah, and I would, yeah, and I was surprised he didn't go to a place where he could start. You know, like a like a Dallas, like a no, 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 me down, like, like a Jacksonville or maybe New England. I mean, New England, but New England wasn't interested. But like Jacksonville. But I think with this pandemic, I think I'm not that surprised that he's that he's coming home because he's from Texas. He played at TCU, so I'm, I'm not surprised he's coming home to Texas, even though it's being even though to probably be a backup. Yeah, probably. To gain seven seven million dollars of backup is not a bad deal either. You know, uh, for maybe you know. Not having to play a big snap all year, maybe depending on Dak's health and all that. Um, but yeah, that would definitely could be a huge factor. I forgot, you know, I forgot about um, period. Yeah, he's from you know going to TCU and all that. He's from that area. Um, but yeah, I, I was kind of surprised because it did surprise me. I feared a team that need a starting quarterback was gonna go out and get him, but um, you know, decides to go to Dallas and. Then you get a bad contract, good $7 million contract. It's not bad at all. Not at all. Not at all. So we'll shift over to uh, fifth-year options. And, and Monday was the deadline for uh, NFL players to get to – for NFL teams to ex- to extend fifth-year options on, on their 2017 draft picks. And the fifth-year option is pretty much the team – if you're drafted in the first round, your team pretty much has contr- – could give you an extra year of control before you become a free agent. So it pretty much protects the team to see what, what they want to end up doing with you. If they want to resign you, if they want to trade you and get some value, it's pretty much all protection for that team that drafts you. That's a big reason why the Packers probably drafted Jordan love with that for, with that. I didn't like the pick at all, but that's the big reason why the Packers drafted Jordan love in the first round is because now they have, they have the protect, they have the, they could, they're very easy. Gonna, they're going to have him for five years instead of four years before he becomes a free agent. I think it's a big reason why they drafted him in the first round. Another big reason why the Ravens traded up a couple of years ago to draft Lamar Jackson with the 32nd pick. Cause the, the, the difference between the 32nd and 33rd pick is you get that fifth year option. And uh, how, how they, how they, how, how they get paid is uh, if you're drafting the top 10, you get the average of the top 10 salaries currently at your position. And if you're drafted outside the top 10, you get the average of the third to 25th the highest player paid player at your position. So that's how that's how that pay scale works there. So we'll get to the players and we'll start with we'll start with Mitch Trubisky, who this was no surprise here yeah. that he the Bears weren't going to extend his fifty his fifth year extend weren't going to give him the fifth year option. Because they brought they traded for Nick Foles, gave a fourth round pick for Nick Foles. Really no surprise that the Bears are are, are uh, didn't didn't give him the fifth year option. Uh, it's going to be an open competition in camp. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. And I don't think anybody should be surprised if Trubisky didn't get the fifth year option. No, you, you shouldn't. I hate to kind of harp on this again, but you know, a guy, you know, they traded up for two after Deshaun Watson won the national championship on a game when it passed. And then you had Pat Mahomes there too. Uh, you know, probably one of the worst picks, you know, high up there we, we we've seen because yeah, he, he had not panned out at all. No surprise. And don't forget, they traded up to get yeah, Mitch Trubisky too. too. I mean, they traded up a spot and gave up a second round pick to get Mitch Trubisky. So, yeah, this is the yeah. yeah when you have Watson and Mahomes on the board, I mean, and he really had one good college season, Trubisky. Probably one year he was even starting college too. And the Bears took him with the with the with the uh, they traded up to take him with the number two pick. And he was good at North Carolina, but he wasn't even great that year. Like he didn't jump off the page. I felt like either it was you know, I, I didn't really think he was going to turn out much. He was not you know. He wasn't going to turn into anything special, and he really hasn't. 
So I think the biggest surprise was the Jaguars not exercising the fifth-year option on uh, on Leonard Fournette, even though you know the guy's been hurt. He had injury histories in college, got hurt his senior year, in, his junior year in college, uh, got hurt his second year in the NFL. Uh, it was a little bit of a surprise to see that they really don't. They're not really paying a franchise quarterback. They really don't know who their franchise quarterback is. So that's why I think it's, it was a surprise they, they didn't. Even though he's a running back, and you know running backs, realistically, it's tough to pay running give running backs all that money. But it's a little bit of a surprise to me they didn't didn't exercise his fifth year option. Yes, if he did get the fifth year option, he'd be, he'd be owed eight million uh, in the 2021 season. So that's a little bit surprising to me because they did try to trade him. Uh, you know, he had that tweet how he wanted Cam Newton to be on the Jaguars. So they tried to trade him. They didn't end up trading him. So a little bit surprised. Hey, I'm surprised by the fact that they didn't get the fifth year option. But I can understand it being. Being a little in, being a little injury prone, you know, being injured two of the last four years, and he's a good back, but he's not Christian McCaffrey, he's not Saquon Barkley, he's not Ezekiel Elliott. So is he really going to be worth seventeen million dollars? I don't think so. Yeah, no, I I don't think he will because yeah, we kind of see these running backs now that are you know, um, he's quick, you know, he's quick, but he doesn't really have that breakaway speed like with McCaffrey or Barkley or you know, any of those guys that we typically see now the, the, you know, the receiving backs. He's not really a big receiving back, receiving back. I, you know, I think this one is a, is a little bit of a surprise. You know, I know they were trying to trade him before the draft and all that, and they didn't end up doing it. Um, but yeah, I, and this, I think now in the last 10 years, Jacksonville's only um, exercised two other top other um, fifth year options in the last 10 years. I think it's only two of them. So uh it's been pretty poor drafting in jacksonville yeah yeah because they, they ended up trading jalen ramsey last year at the Rams too yep yeah so uh, we look at other guys who did get their fifth year option uh extended and one was uh, solomon thomas of the 49ers who well, that was the guy who the niners traded back to get with the third pick that year and i can understand that one you look at the niners d line they got they got eric armstead they got uh D Ford, Nick Boza drafted Javon Kenlaw. It really makes sense. And, and really last year, uh, Thomas only played 41% of the snaps. So it would make sense for the 49ers really not to pick up his option. He's an expendable player. They're probably going to let go after this season. He's a decent player, but he's pretty much a rotational player who's going to be probably going to be like, going to be a free agent going into this off season. Yeah. Um, yeah. With every, with all those beats on the line and just drafting Kenlaw too, which, you know, price, probably sealed kind of some of that as well and him being the third uh third overall pick too it you know i think you'd be probably paying him too much for not being out there um you know for all the downs yeah 41 percent of the time you know you, you kind of waste some money right there if you did exercise that you know and it'll be a kind of a small but with how with how well their defensive line sacks up it you know, it's not going to be a huge loss. It'll be, you know, somewhat of a loss, but not, you know, some huge, you know, won't be a dramatic one with with all the pieces that they have on that D-line. Other notable guys that were not, their options were not picked up. One was a Corey Davis, was drafted, was drafted number five overall, overall by the Titans. It's pretty much the go-to guy there has been, uh, he's been disappointing, to be honest. And the go-to guy there has been A.J. Brown. So he's been a little bit disappointing, no surprise there. Uh, John Ross. Had the great 40 time at the combine. Remember the rain, remember the Bengals took with the ninth overall pick in the uh, 17, 2017 draft. Had the great had the great 40 time at the combine, but 
again, can't stay healthy, and he's been disappointing as well. And uh, last one is Reuben Foster. And obviously, Reuben Foster was a guy the 49ers traded into the first round to get. And he had the he had issues off the field. Niners got rid of him. Redskins picked him up tore his ACL last year. And pretty obvious they didn't pick up his fifth-year option as well. I mean, he was, a beat, he was great at, at uh, Alabama, but his NFL career has been off to a really rough start. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, and it's too bad for Reuben Foster too, because yeah, they, you know he's gonna be a really good player in the NFL, and he just you know injuries off the field issues hasn't been able to do it. You know, stay on the field. Davis too, um, you know, he was good. You know, he was really good at West Michigan. I think you know, um, and, and I think he would have to get like fifteen and uh, you know over fifteen and a half million too. Which yeah, you know, he's not really go to guy. It's kind of a waste. I think he's had a couple, you know, good games, but like, yeah, he hasn't really been that go-to guy that they thought that they were going to get from him. Um, uh, so, yeah, you know, on those, yeah, so those two, yeah, they weren't the most surprising that they did not get the uh, fifth-year option. We'll go to some of the uh, the obvious yeses. Obviously, Watson, Mahomes, uh, Jamal Adams. Even though you don't know if Jamal Adams is going to stay all five years of the Jets, he might end up getting traded. Uh, T.J. Watt. Uh, uh, Ryan Ramchak, Tredavious White, and Marshawn Lattimore. Quickly, those are pretty obvious guys. Oh, yeah, definitely. All of them really deserving that fifth-year option. All of them have, so far, have had really good careers. And, yeah, there's no, you know, no question all five of those, you know, deserve the uh, op- the fifth-year option. And, yeah, we'll see if Adam stays or not, if stays in New York or not, if, they're, if they trade him. Um, yeah, all of them really deserving that fifth-year option. We go to the Giants guys, and that's Evan Ingram and Jabril Peppers. And really, not a surprise that the Giants picked up their exercised their options too. I mean, Evan Ingram, yes, he's had he's had, he's had trouble staying on the field. So you know, given that fifth year, it gives the Giants time to see if they want to give him that long term deal, or if he gets hurt, if he keeps getting hurt, it keeps not being able to stay on the field, the Giants could trade him or, or end up ending up getting rid of him. So it really gives the Giants options of what they're going to do. But Ingram's too talented to just say after after next year to just just, just have him become a free agent. I think that. I think that was a smart move by the Giants to give Ingram the fifth-year option. And also Jabril Peppers. I mean, Jabril Peppers is an up-and-coming safety in the league. He's going into his fourth year, going into this year. We all know the, that was the pick the Giants got in the OBJ trade. So you probably do want to give him the fifth-year option. You don't want to trade a guy as talented as Odell Beckham, not sign Landon Collins in the same offseason, just end up letting uh, Jabril, Rupper, Jabril Peppers walk. So I think that was very smart of the Giants to give Jabril Peppers the fifth-year option as well. We all remember Jabril Peppers was really good in college, too, at Michigan, too. So there's definitely upside there as well. Both players with upside, the Giants giving fifth-year options, too. Yeah, Ingram, I think, yeah, he's got a lot of potential. If he can stay healthy, and that's been the big question mark in his career so far. Um, and then Pepper, yeah, I loved him coming out of Michigan um, super quick. He's just fun to watch at Michigan. I know, you know, he's been good, but, you know, he's definitely has a lot of upside, and hopefully, you know, that comes around. Because if he does, if he kind of gets to that potential that he has, you know, he'll be really fun to watch and, you know, as a giant fan. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm happy. I'm happy that uh, both those options were exercised and talking about your Patriots. They didn't have a first round pick that year because guess who they traded for to get that first round pick. He didn't last the entire Super Bowl. That's a clue right there. I'm trying to think who was uh, Brandon Cooks. They oh, traded yeah. for Brandon Cooks from the the Saints. They had the 32nd pick. Uh, the same, they traded Brandon. They traded. They traded that pick for Brandon Cox, which you know Brandon Cox is not. Should never be worth the first round pick. And then with that pick, the, the Saints look. The Saints end up drafting Ryan Ramchak, one of the best tackles in the league. So 
Reno will win that trade. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it doesn't surprise me. Belichick loved getting rid of those first rounders. Or exactly. 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 Now, now you know why the Patriots offense is what it is right now. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So we're going to look at some of the some of the obvious no's. Uh, Taco Charlton, obviously, not even on a team. Dolphins released him. Uh, Charles Harris, Dolphins drafted him with the 22nd overall pick, but he just hasn't done much at all in the league. And Hassan Reddick, the same thing with the Cardinals, really hasn't done much in the league as well. We'll look at – you want to comment on those, Justin? Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, none of the, I, you know, I don't know those guys. Yeah, should should have got that fifth year option. You know, uh, we've really been productive at the next level so far. Here's one of the more interesting guys too is uh, Miles Garrett. And yes, on the field, I think that even though he had that completely disgraceful incident in November of last year, that was I mean one of the most disgraceful yeah. things I've ever seen. Yeah. With the talent, out with how talented he he is. You got to give him the fifth-year option. I mean, he's one of the best, he's one of the top pass rushers in the league. I mean, he's he's a beast. He's he's so quick at getting, getting to the quarterback. He was the number one overall pick that year uh, by the Cleveland Browns. So, I, yes, that incident was disgraceful. But sadly, I got to say, you got to give him, you got to give him the fifth. You got to extend. You got to exercise fifth-year option. You have no choice. Yeah, that was probably one of the worst things I've ever seen ever happened you know that tends to be one of the worst incidents sports incidents i've ever seen happen um again and you know but yeah he's a freak on the field so he's been so great and it's he's been one of the few browns picks that have actually turned out as you know they they haven't had a ton but he's one of them that has really panned out and yeah you gotta give him the fifth year option with how well he's been productive you know, so far for the Browns and that defense. Um, yeah, you, you can't let a guy like that walk. You, you know, there's no way. Oh, oh, not at all. Not at all. I mean, I don't like what – I can't stand what yeah, he did but, at all. At all. At any means, that, that was terrible what he did. But just with the talent level, it's just pretty obvious. Yeah, you, you, you have to give it to him. Uh, other uh, other yeses, uh, Mike Williams of the, uh, of, of, this, of, the, of the Los Angeles Chargers, he's actually became a pretty good receiver in this league. I mean, him and Keenan Allen are – that's a pretty good receiving core there with the Chargers. Yeah, it didn't show up as much last year because uh, Philip Rivers had a terrible year for the Chargers when he was done. But Mike Williams, I think, is a is he gonna is he is he a receiver you want to pay you know eighteen nineteen million to a year? Probably not. But to give you that flexibility, you don't lose him in free agency next year. I like this move by the Chargers, uh, giving giving the uh, exercise against fifth year option. Yeah, I like it too. Especially now you got a young Herbert, Justin Herbert, you just drafted coming in. Oh, and then you also got Tyra Taylor, who does have experience as a starter, but um, you know, new you know, when he was a Buffalo, but now he kind of again, uh, you know, I would say kind of not not with a ton of experience. So it's good to kind of give him some weapons. And yeah, as long as Keenan Allen and Mike Williams stay healthy, yeah, that's a very nice duo too. Very quiet, dude, because not too many people talk about those two. Um, but, you know, they really help out that Chargers, off, Chargers offense. Um, it's a, you know, it's a nice little dude that they have out there. Yeah, and, and uh, you all, you remember Mike Williams in college, especially when he was at Clemson with Deshaun Watson. I mean, he was he was a beast in college, and he's been pretty good in the NFL so far. Uh, so other guys who got their options picked up, uh, here's one that's a little bit of a surprise. And I don't say it was a surprise, but with the Bucks having three tight ends right now, but I mean, I know Grok's not a long-term option, so I probably shouldn't say it's a surprise. But OJ Howard, but he and I, and he is the better tight end between him and Cameron Bray, and even arguably right now, 
maybe even Gronkowski. I mean, we'll see what, what happens when, it, when the season starts. But O.J. Howard has said been decent for the Bucks so far. I mean, I wouldn't say he's worth the – he's been as good as they thought he's been, but he's been decent for the Bucks so far. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. And he didn't have as big of a year last year, two years ago. Um, and I know – report, I still think he's on the trade block. So, you know, who knows how much longer he may even be there. But that's a very nice, you know, three – you know, three, uh, three tight ends they have on the roster. Um, we'll have to see what Gronk looks like when he comes back. It, you know, if Gronk can even stay healthy, it's a nice um, kind of triple threat they have there at tight end. But, um, well, you know, he did, yeah, and you know, he could be a nice trade, you know, he could be a nice trade piece too for you know, a team that needs a tight end. So, it's good, kind of good. Maybe you can trade him instead of just letting him walk in free agency and get something for him. Um, if they do decide to trade him, yeah, a couple, a couple. I thought couple teams I thought were going to pick up their options. That's the Eagles and Ravens. Both these players uh, fit both teams' identities. We'll start with the Eagles with Derek Barnett. Eagles, their their identity on defense to get pressure on the quarterback with Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox. And Derek Barnett came in in 2017. He was on that really good defensive line with Chris Long as well. And I think that's, 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 an, that's for the Eagles, that's their identity. So there's no surprise they picked up his fifth-year option. And also uh, Marlon Humphrey of the uh, Ravens. I think the Ravens are a team that really, really likes to blitz. So they're going to keep their corners on islands. So they're, and, and you saw last year, they went out and traded for Marcus Peters. They like corners that can play man coverage. Uh, Marlon Humphrey's good in man coverage. So I'm not surprised with either of those two, either of those two options getting exercised. Yeah, you you know you said it. Uh, they both you know um, both guys fit. They're both teams' identities. Um, Bending on the D line, definitely. Um, you know the Eagles have really over kind of you know left fields have been great up front, and the Ravens the you know the way they blitz, kind of having Humphreys out. You know um, you need yeah a good corner or a good corner who can guard man to man, so you know you don't get uh, beat deep. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> Both those two guys, they aren't surprising. They got the fifth-year options as well. We look at uh, the, the rest of the yeses in uh, Adoree Jackson of the Titans. Uh, he's a pretty good corner for the Titans. I'm not surprised there. And then David Njoku, I'm a little bit surprised about because the Titans, because uh, with the Browns, because they uh, went out and signed Austin Hooper, drafted Harrison Bryant, who was an All-American mm. at Florida, playing for Florida Atlantic. So that could be another tight end as well. So I'm a little bit surprised they gave it to David Njoku. He's not been great for the Browns since he's been there. Talented, but he really hasn't put it all together yet. And so one, I'm, I mean, Jackson, I can't be surprised with, but uh, Nichoku, I'm a little bit surprised with. Yeah, Jackson, definitely. Um, they kind of, you know, especially because they don't even, um, you know, Logan Ryan's gone now. They they didn't uh, re-sign him. So that does, that's not too big of a surprise. And then, yeah, the Nichoku, I was a little bit surprised with because, um, you know, he's dropped some balls at times. And then he's also been banged up and he just got Hooper. And, yeah, I love Harrison Bryant coming from uh, – Ford Atlantic playing for Lane Kiffin. I think he's a, you know, he was an All-American, really talented tight end. Um, so I am surprised that they are given the fifth-year option. Um, we'll see, you know, if this year he's able to stay on the field and, you know, production gets better for him, hopefully. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening. We'll see what ends up happening there. We'll go with the, the last four guys who were, who were no's and uh, Malik Hooker, the Colts. Up and down this career, you're not that surprised. You're not surprised at any of them. Garrett Bowles has been disappointing. Elway wants competition at left tackle. Uh, you look at uh, Jared Davis, he's been disappointing for the Lions as well. So has Tack McKinley for the Falcons. Really no surprise either of them didn't get their – all of them got their options declined. Yeah, yeah, no, no surprise. None of them have been, you know, 
have have been productive enough really to get that fifth, kind of fifth year option that they need. Absolutely. Yeah, that they want. Absolutely, absolutely. So we're going to shift to the last dance. I mean, this has been a huge, huge thing that's been going on. And now that we haven't had any sports going on every Sunday night, the last dance has pretty much been must-see TV. For me, it has been probably for, it probably has for you as well, Justin. Oh, yeah. Been must-see TV, really for all sports fans with no sports going on. This, this documentary is supposed to come out in June, but they moved it up to April. It was supposed to come out in June after the finals, but they moved it up to April just so, you know, we could have something to watch without any sports on a, on, on, on Sunday nights. And it's been, it's been, I think it's, there are a lot of good ESPN 30 for thirties, but this has been by far the best. This has been the footage of, of all uh, uh, the footage of the 98 bulls, all the footage you've had, all the interviews. This has been to me the best of uh, the, just because it's, it's about Michael Jordan, the world's most famous athlete. It's just about him. And we'll, we'll, we'll start, we'll start uh, talking about the, because they go kind of back and forth during the episodes, you know, the, the, the Jordan's early Jordan's years before that 97, 98 season. And during that 97, 98 season. So we'll start talking about Jordan before uh, that 97, that 97, 98, 98 season. And we'll start on the document and we'll start where they go talking about Jordan's early days of how we, how we couldn't beat the, how he, how he couldn't beat the Celtics. I mean, he was just getting, he was just got drafted by the bulls. Yeah. And let's not give Jerry Cross a ton of credit because Jerry Cross got there after Michael Jordan yeah. got drafted. Let's remember that. Okay. He got there. He was handed Michael Jordan. Okay. Won six titles, but he was handed Michael Jordan. So he gets there. Kraus gets there. Those first couple of years, the bulls are pretty much overmatching those playoff series by the Celtics. I mean, I remember that, but the, in that 86, that, but those, in that 86 playoffs, so Jordan was, even though the, the Bulls lost, Jordan was outstanding. He had 63 points in one game, had over 40 points in another game. Jordan was phenomenal in those games. And uh, he, 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 but they had to realize, though, he really couldn't do it alone. And they, they ended up drafting Scottie Pippen, his, his, his sidekick, pretty much through those six championships. And uh, the biggest hurdle, and obviously, and it, and it was definitely well documented in the film was those bad boy Pistons and those matchups with those bad boy Pistons and all oh, were those games physical and all oh, did Jordan get beat up by them, the Jordan rules. They did not let Jordan go into the lane, the Bill Lambeers, the Rick Mahorns, Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumars, those bad boy Pistons and not let Jordan go into the lane or do anything. And, and, and they were, and they were Jordan's kryptonite. I mean, beat him, beat him, beat him in, knocked him out of the playoffs in 88 in, in the, in the conference semis. And then, uh, and then they beat him in 89 in the conference, uh, the conference finals. And the 89 season was, a really good one for Jordan. We all remember that shot on Elo to, to get the Bulls out of the first round. And uh, yeah, in '89 they, uh, they, but in '89 they ended up losing to the to, to the uh, Pistons in the Eastern in the Eastern Conference Finals. But things changed after that, and th- and things ch- and in 1990 the uh, the the uh, Bulls made a coaching change. They they got rid of Doug Collins, who was so catered to Michael Jordan. The ball was always in Jordan's hands to Phil Jackson, who was taking the ball out of Jordan's hands and making the team better running that triangle offense. And at first, Jordan didn't like it at all. He could not stand it. But for the betterment of the team, he accepted it. The Bulls the next year did a, did a great job. They got, to the, uh, they, got, they got back to the conference finals. We're in a game seven against the Pistons. And famously known, which Joe probably knows pretty well of, the Scottie Pippen migraine game. Where the, the the Bulls got de- the Bulls got destroyed and the Pistons went on to win their second straight championship, and then after that we we all remember was shown in the film was that Michael Jordan was was not going to allow the Bulls to lose to the Pistons again, and he sure didn't because we all know what happened in that one too. Watching the film, they went they sweep the Pistons out of the playoffs. They finally get over the hump, and the Pistons don't have the class yeah. to shake hands. And let's talk. Let's let's start there debating that. 
with the Pistons basically walking off the floor. And I remember seeing that. I was, I wasn't, it wasn't a surprise. I'd seen it before. They had, they did it. ESPN did a 30 for 30 on the bad boy Pistons. So it wasn't a surprise that the Pistons walked off the floor, but have you, have you imagine if that happened today? How, how long would we, would we be talking about that? And it still was a huge, and Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas didn't think that was that big of a deal when it happened then, but that was crazy back in those days that they walked off the floor without even shaking hands. Right, right by the, and even worse, right by the Bulls bench, right by Michael Jordan. Yeah, because, you know, the Bulls always went up there. You know, as we've seen, you know, saw it, they, they did shake all their hands and all that. But, yeah, that has to be, you know, I could not fathom what, what would happen if, you know, a team did that now. And I know the Pistons kind of, their excuse back then was kind of, oh, well, the Celtics kind of did it to us when we beat them. So, you know, I know they kind of threw that excuse out there. But, yeah, that was definitely, you know, I, I, I you know, that – Again, not the, you know, to kind of lose and just get being like you did not really have the class to go out there and say, hey, great job. You know, it, you know, it's unfortunate. It, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, and I don't think they, they did not like that either. Jordan, absolutely. That was uh, fuel to the fire right there for Jordan, um, you know, finally getting over and beating the Pistons. Yeah, but I thought that was absolutely disgraceful, yeah. the Bat Boy Pistons. And and the Bulls showed it in the film. You heard Horace Grant, Grant calling them straight you know what's. Yeah. And then Michael Jordan calling uh calling IT an A-hole. So they the and then the Michael Jordan IT thing. And this is this uh, this is a, a real this is a feud right now that is still going on. You saw him IT the other day say, Oh, uh Magic Bird, Magic and Bird were clearly better than Jordan and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a feud that is still, 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 still going on to this day. I mean, it's, it's, it's real, man. That, that, that it and, uh, and Isaiah Thomas, Michael Jordan feud. It's, it, it is real. Yeah, it is. And you know, the crazy thing, it's so, you know, it kind of shows that era back then because I don't think anybody in the NBA right now have a feud against each other unless, you know, I, like I, I haven't seen one. I haven't heard about anything. So yeah. I mean, the Warriors and Cavs had a little bit going there. Draymond and LeBron a little bit there, but not anywhere near this level though. Yeah, not not here. Not where it's what twenty years after, thirty years after. Yeah, thirty years after, where thirty years, and you know they still do not like each other. It it's crazy, and uh, yeah, and it kind of looked like a bad guy during this film. Oh yeah. Well, you know, um. But yeah, it's it's a crazy few that they still have not kind of made up and gone over it. It's you know, it's unique because we don't see anything like that nowadays in the NBA. They're all buddies with each other. Uh, pretty much, pretty yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And obviously, that feud uh, led to the led to Isaiah being left off the dream team, which I think to this day still really hurts Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, it, it really yeah. does. Yeah, even when he was kind of talking Sunday, he kind of he still kind of feels disrespected about it, and um, you know, again, I've kind of heard people say, and I, I you know, I don't know if it's a hundred that said, oh, it was kind of the whole team that did not like Isaiah Thomas, which just wasn't Jordan. I don't know if that's entirely true, um, but it would have been very interesting when they showed kind of that scrimmage still, it versus Jordan going at it, and that kind of that secret scrimmage that they had in the dream team, that would have kind of been an inter- very interesting matchup watching it, seeing each other go at it. Cause it, 
probably wouldn't have been the most friendliest thing in the world. No, no, not, no, no, not, not at all. Not at all. So, uh, now that they, they, they show, they show the dream team and he, and he wins a gold for them and that, but another interesting thing that comes up in these, you know, early nineties days of Jordan was the gambling issues. And obviously when he, when he lost that game to, to the Knicks and we'll get to those Nick, those Nick teams, a little bit of the nineties, they were kind of the lesser version of those bad boy Pistons. But when he get, he lost that game, he lost game, game one. And then he went to Atlantic city before game two, to, uh, to, to, uh, to, to, to go game, to, to, to gamble, to get away from New York city. And, and it started, and the media started to, you know, started questioning Jordan. Is he hundred percent committed? Is he, but is he more, is he like basketball? Because he was an avid cook. He was an avid gambler. I mean, he golf games. He would be always golfing for money. He used to say on there, I don't have a gambling problem. I got a competitive problem. So, I mean, the gambling became pretty out of control there. And I, that, that was, I kind of knew about that too, but it definitely they went in depth with the gambling issue there as well with Michael, for Michael Jordan. They definitely did. And I kind of remember before kind of, um, you know, they came out with the, with the documentary and all that. He said, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm kind of going to be like a bad guy in this documentary. And, you know, we kind of saw it Sunday with the gambling issues. And the thing was too, you know, I, he definitely had a gambling problem. The thing was, it was like he was betting $10,000 on golf, but you know, for him, it's not even a dent. It's a, you know, not even a dent for him. Um, you know, cause I didn't really think going away the night, you know, before a big game to get kind of get away, kind of just, driving down lake say i didn't think it was you know the worst thing in the world um that was kind of that was the first time i heard about that i didn't think it you know just to kind of get away you know it, it's michael jordan and i didn't we all know he's got that competitive spirit in him he's just wired differently than anybody we've ever seen with the way he wants to win and even the card games that they used to have on the planes even the guys up front that would only have like you know they'd only play for a dollar. He'd still want their money. You know, he just wanted to beat you at anything. And especially if you had money involved, but uh, he just, he just seems like he's wired much differently than anybody else. And some, you know, that we've ever seen the willingness to want to win. To me, there was not a better competitor than Michael Jordan. And this documentary proves it. I mean, I think Brady and Kobe are up there, but they're not the competitor. Michael Jordan is there's nobody who's a bigger competitor than Jordan. And that's why I, I, I think he's the greatest basketball player of all time. I think, yes, LeBron is outstanding, but let me tell you something. If Michael Jordan is in those 2011 finals, like that situation LeBron was in in 2011, when he, had, when he had the better team against the Mavericks and they lost, there is no way, no way Jordan loses that series. No way, no way at all Jordan loses that series to the Mavs the way LeBron did. There's just no way of that happening. You could also argue, you know, other series that LeBron lost, you know, that series to the Magic, that series to that series to the Celtics in 2010. There's just no way Michael Jordan loses those series. No, especially with the team, especially you switch LeBron and Jordan and Jordan had Le- Wade and Botch with them. There is, yeah, there, there's no way. I, I, they probably beat the Magic in four or five games. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's no way. I definitely, I've always agreed. I've always thought that, that uh, Michael Jordan was, you know, better than LeBron. Um, just, you know, the way that, especially now that I've seen in documentary, the way he played and just hearing him talk about the, you know, competitive nature. Yeah. There's nobody like Michael Jordan out there. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. But without question. So uh, heading back to the, to the late '90s with the Bulls, and uh, as we all knew, the uh, the Pistons were the big challenger in the uh, in, in the in the late in the uh, late '80s 
But the big challenger of the Bulls in the early '90s was was the New, was the New York Knicks. And probably Joe could he was a Knicks fan growing up in the '90s. He could probably he probably knows a lot about this. Those Knicks teams were pretty much just when Pat Riley came in were kind of just like the Bad Boy Pistons. I mean, I Patrick Ewing, Anthony Mason, Charles Oakley, John Starks. Those teams they were flashy, but they were tough, physical, played a lot of low scoring games, were really good defensively. And they and they gave Jordan's Bulls problems. I mean, '92 they they took. I, I heard Mark an interview with Mark Jackson. Uh, on get up said that might have been one of the best teams outside of the 98 Pacers. That was probably one of the best teams. That was probably the closest, the, the, the toughest series the Bulls had. And also one of the, obviously one of the toughest series they had was, was 93 with the, with the Knicks. I mean, the Knicks had that two Oh lead uh, on, on the Bulls in that series. They, the, but then the Bulls won those two, the next two in Chicago, then a huge game five where, where, and Joe probably knows about this too, where the Bulls were up by one and Charles Smith could not make that shot got blocked like three blocked like three or four times and the bulls ended up winning that game. And you knew, and I think a lot of Knicks fans at the time, you could see the, and you see during the documentary, the crowd shots, the Knicks fans knew that series was over at that time. And they, and they ended up, and they ended up, uh, they, obviously the bulls ended up winning and, and, and uh, then the bulls ended up going on to win their third championship over Charles Barkley. And I thought Chuck was interesting too, in that documentary. I thought Chuck was, was really, really, was really interesting. I mean, he won the MVP in that 93 season and, uh, and, and uh, that son's team competed with them too. I mean, I thought, you know, that they, they uh, won two out of three in Chicago and then they lost that game by kind of similar to the way, but they, the Bulls beat the jazz in 98, but this time instead of Michael Jordan, John Paxson hit the huge shot to get the Bulls that championship in 93 to clinch their, uh, their, their first three peak. Yeah, and um, that's ongoing. Yeah, the Charles Barkley, man. Um, I think that settles the debate. Uh, well, not much of a de- debate that Charles is better than Draymond Green. Um, oh, come on, come on, come on! I, there should be no, I know, zero, no zero debate that Charles never, Barkley is better than Draymond I Green. Never thought that was I know, debate, I know, you didn't but, say it, but people, yeah. people want to sit there and say Charles Barkley is better than Draymond Green. That, 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 that's, 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 that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy to say that. Charles Barkley was an MVP in 1993. He led the Phoenix Suns to the finals. You could argue Draymond Green has not been better than the third best player on his own team. Yes, he won three championships, but uh, and one of them, when one of them, he was the third best player. The other, or even the fourth, because he got out of one MVP. And then the second two, he was clearly the fourth best player on his team with KD, Dur- Durant, and Curry. So there's there's no way you could even compare Charles Barkley to Draymond Green. I, I and especially on Sunday night, I, I thought that you know that that to be a joke that people actually thought that um Darren better, but yeah, you know um that that Suns it pretty much did kind of that series with the Suns kind of ended just kind of just like that Jazz kind of series Paxson and with all the you know and I'm still kind of you know in that triangle kind of in that Phil Jackson um kind of style of because. Um, if Collins is still there, I definitely feel like Jordan probably would have took the last shot, but he had trust in Paxson to drill that last shot because, um, you know, I, it, you know, because I in the beginning in his early, you know, uh, career, it kind of felt all right. I'm gonna you know do this myself. I'm gonna win this myself. But it kind of seems more throughout the years that the trust is kind of yeah. Phil Jackson kind of trusted trust your teammates a little bit more and he did a great job there and you know Paxton hit the game winner and impact and hit and Paxton hit the big shot in 91 too to clinch, clinch yeah. that game five against the Lakers so that was the biggest thing with Phil Jackson coming in and people want to criticize Phil Jackson 
for not being a great coach. That's nonsense because Phil Jackson kind of changed a little bit. I mean, the culture was there. It was a winning culture with Michael Jordan. But when he took over for Doug Collins, he made that a championship culture by making them by not having Jordan hog the ball by making it be about the team and not about Michael Jordan. Yeah, because, you know, back back then, too, with the style and the way they played it, it's pretty tough for one guy to win the game back then. You know, especially you got a guy like Scottie Pippen that's right there with, you know, as on your team. Um, it's kind of a solid duo. But, yeah, uh, Jack, you know, yeah, I, you know, I don't know why a lot of people make, you know, say uh, Jackson's not a really good coach. He did a great job in the 90s with the Bulls. You know, he's he's been great as a head coach, you know, around the in the NBA for all these years. I know uh, he's, you know, retired now obviously but yeah he did it you know through his time he had, he had a really good job and this was kind of he did a great job of helping jordan and those guys get a bunch of rings terrible executive i know as a knicks fan but one yeah. the greatest coach the goat the greatest coach of all i think the greatest coach in nba history mm-hmm. but yeah i mean yeah, that, that, that that's how i would summarize phil jackson but going on to like the 97 98 season and this was another just one reason why jerry kraus is okay one of the worst general managers to win multiple championships in uh, in any sport. And, and I mean, funny, he's two other Jerry's are right behind him, Jerry Jones and Jerry Reese. I mean, they, they talk about benefiting from someone else, benefiting from, you know, someone else's success, but uh, Phil Jackson, uh, they, Jerry Krause basically wanted Phil Jackson gone for the 97 season. That didn't end up happening. And then by the 98 season, it didn't matter how good the bulls were. He was going to get rid of Phil Jackson, which is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, to do that was—I I can't even explain that. That was—that was—that was absolutely horrible. I, just horrible to do that. It does, this 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 documentary this uh, documentary definitely makes Jerry Krause look bad. But who could blame anyone for making Jerry Krause look bad when you want to get rid of Phil Jackson? Yeah, that's dumb. Oh yeah, he goes eight and two and zero. Oh, you're still not going to be back next year. I. I I give Jackson a lot of credit for just hanging around and actually, you know, with the team he had, I guess he's, I'm not surprised, but, you know, he could have walked out and said, all right, I can go find any other, you know, 29 other teams probably would have hired Phil Jack, you know, after Kraus said that, but, you know, stick around with one another one. I, I yeah, and Kraus, he's right there, one of the worst executives, you know, we've seen in sports history. And, you know, and none of the guys, it, um, Back in the 92, um, you know, the dream team, because um, it seemed like Jerry Krause hated everybody that was not – or he loved everybody that was not in his organization. And, the, um, oh, I can't remember his name, the Croatian that they played. Oh, uh, Tony Kukoc. Yeah, Kuko. Um, and when they played against each other, Jordan and Pippen never met the guy, but because Krause loved them so much, we got to go make them look so bad. Like, that's something you would never really – you know, like I just thought that was the funniest thing that, you know. Uh, we gotta go make him look. You know, we gotta go make him look bad. So our GM looks like a, uh, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing out there. You know, I thought that was <laughs> something to take, you know, big takeaway. But yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't understand why Kraus really, you know, would want to, you know, he wanted the he wanted the credit because he was yeah. the guy who wasn't getting the credit. You know, Jordan Pippen and Phil Jackson were getting all the credit, and Jerry Kraus wanted to say, all right, I'll get rid of, I'll get rid of Phil Jackson. I'll, I'll, I'll break up this Bulls team and we'll get into this in later episodes, but I'll break up this Bulls team and I'll be the one who gets the credit and I'll be the one who was the reason he just didn't want to be the guy, the guy who got no credit. And I, and his ego really, really good. I mean, I don't think he did it. He did a really good job of building. Yeah, he didn't draft Michael Jordan, but he did a really good job of building the team. But 
him wanting credit really, really, and we're going to see, and you'll see in later episodes, help to the demise of this team. And then you see, and then you see later on in the season, the Scottie Pippen issue, he sits out the beginning of that 98, 97, 98 season. And then he, and he's not, and he's not happy with his contract. And he just goes at it with Jerry Krause on the bus. He's going after Jerry Krause. He's ticked off. And the Bulls, as a result, are really struggling at that point with Pippen out. Yeah, and, you know, it did not help the team that that all that was going on. Um, you can definitely see without kind of Scotty out there, the Bulls, yeah, the Bulls are really struggling there for a while. Um, but, look, Pippen was getting, you know, for how good Pippen was, I think he was, what, 120th in the league at that time in, in – you know, money or, you know, for or being paid for throughout all the players. So they got a real bargain for him. So I don't, you know, my, you know, um, cause I know for a while he wanted to get traded, but when they got him back, it, w- it was really, you know, they took off after they got him back. But, um, but before that with Kraus, um, before they re, you know, got through the contract stuff, uh, they're really strong, and I, and it was just and to actually kind of call out your GM like that. It's not the greatest thing in the world, but I don't really blame because I know none of those guys really like Krause, and again, I don't blame him because he, you know, doesn't seem like the greatest. Uh, yeah, again, he's not the greatest GM in the world. Here he no, no, at the time Phil couldn't stand him. Short Michael couldn't stand him. So I mean, calling out Krause was pretty much the thing you were probably doing in those days with the Chicago, with the Bulls. I mean, they were, they were winning despite issues in their front office. The, the Bulls were winning all those championships together. Oh, great. Michael, Phil, and Scotty were. That's why they, that's why they won all those championships. And, 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 oh, sorry. Well, and then Kraus too, after, I think it was the second one, was saying, oh, this organization, the organization, the organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He kept saying, oh, this is a great organization. This is a great organization. Uh, yeah, because he wanted all the credit. Yep. And it kept being that way the entire time with Jerry Kraus. And that's never the case for a GM. The GM's never the one that it's it's the players who are it's the players and coaches who are in the middle of the game that are kind of deciding everything. Those are the guys who get the credit, not really it's a, the GM. It's a little similar to you know Jerry Jones in the early days with the Cowboys, because Jimmy Johnson knew all the players from college. He probably was the guy who wanted to trade Herschel Walker to get all those draft picks knew all the college players, knew how to build that team. And Jerry was so upset he didn't get any of the credit. He wasn't getting the credit. He felt like he deserved. And, you know, Aikman and uh, Jimmy Johnson, Emmett Smith, Michael Irvin, they were getting all the credit. And Jerry got so upset and everything. And he ended up, him and Jimmy parted ways. And the Cowboys have never been the same ever since. So that's what, and then, and kind of the same thing you see with the Bulls. They've really never been the, I mean, they've had some good years. They had that one year, Derek Rose with the MVP and they went to the conference finals, but Jerry Krause has never been the same, and the Chicago Bulls really haven't been that elite championship team really ever since. No, they haven't. And before even Jordan, they weren't really, you know, they weren't an elite team. They they were, I think they said too, they were like one of the, you know, worst kind of with the selling tickets in the in the um in Chicago with all the sports teams. So yeah, they really haven't, you know, it it's something to think about too. If Derrick Rose is able to stay healthy, if he would be able to bring a championship back to Chicago. But yeah, they they really have not been the same team since uh, Jordan's left, and you know they're in a rebuild mode again right now. And we'll see kind of uh, what happens with them. So we'll talk about it a little bit hitting on uh, De- uh, Dennis Rodman. I mean, when he went to the Bulls, he he, he got to the Bulls. I mean, he was yeah, he was actually a, formerly a bad boy Piston. I mean, remember he was kind of there. He was their big rival, and then he he, he ended up coming 
to, to the Bulls in, in, in uh, 95, 96. And he was on three of those championship teams. And I remember, and he really was the guy during that 97, 98 season. If you see in the documentary, when the team was kind of like around 500, the team kind of took off that year when Dennis really started to step up. But then the surprise came when Scotty came back, Dennis wanted to take a vacation. That was, that was a little weird, <laughs> and he, but he ended up taking that vacation and they said for Phil Jackson said 48 hours. He wasn't back in 48 hours. Michael had to go get him to get him back <laughs> with the bulls. Yeah. It, and yeah, cause Jordan kind of needed that second guy to help him out around without Scotty. And he, and he ended up doing that. And he kind of felt like the, uh, kind of Batman Robin type of, you know, he was kind of that Robin for a while and, you know, Pippen came back and he's just a third wheel again. You know, uh, it wasn't surprising that Robin did not come back in 48 hours. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I always felt like it was a little weird that Robin actually kind of left Detroit, come to Chicago. I always kind of, you know, division, yeah, uh, yeah, division kind of uh, rival. He didn't go, though, from Detroit to Chicago. He went to San Antonio in between, and then oh, yeah. the Bulls got him after that. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, they, uh, I forgot they did trade him. But, uh, I, you know, I always, but I did kind of feel like it was weird he ended up in Chicago. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, he kind of, it took him a while to step up and finally take that role on, but he did it and he, you know, and Pippen kind of comes back and he kind of takes the thunder away from him a little bit of being Michael's guy, second guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and just to finish it off, what they talked about in the 98 season, obviously Kobe and Jordan coming together at the all-star break. We discussed the competitors they both are and how I love the quote Kobe made. I wouldn't have five rings without Michael Jordan. He doesn't want to hear, Oh, I'm going to beat Michael Jordan one-on-one. There's such respect Kobe has. It's like he's a Kobe's Kobe was a little brother to Michael Jordan. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately we all know fortune Kobe is, is, isn't here anymore, but he was a little brother to Michael Jordan. And th- that, 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 that 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 was so true. I mean, they both played the same kind of game. They both were the same kind of competitors. I think Kobe's one of the top three competitors I've ever seen. Jordan, the best competitor. So he said, "Oh, he was a little brother to him, uh, to Jordan." And I think that was a really good, like, uh, that just showed you the respect level Kobe had for Jordan. Oh yeah, definitely. And that you know, kind of first also. And I remember too in that locker room that day when Jordan said, "Um, you know, I'm going to take this rookie. Uh, you know, uh, you know." Kind of, you know, start out to uh, he was gonna try to embarrass Kobe, but yeah, you know, Kobe kind of built that relationship, and you can definitely see there, yeah, there was there was a uh, Jordan and Kobe, and yeah, uh, he's definitely right there as one of the top three competitors I've you know I, I've seen definitely. Um, it yeah, it's sad not to see Kobe here and not be able to watch it. It, it was weird kind of hearing him talk, it but it you know it was good to hear him. Um, it kind of what he had to say because. You could definitely see a lot of Michael Jordan and Kobe. You could see, and, that, and that's probably the toughest thing that Kobe's not here to see this documentary. Because yeah. I guarantee you, if there's anyone, there's no one who would have loved this documentary more than Kobe, in my opinion. Oh yeah, I same yeah, I'm with you on there. There, there wouldn't. Yeah. So let's gonna wrap it up this week on a sports talk with RNJ. We we want to give big thanks to uh, Joe McGuire for producing today. Did a great job with the graphics and, and putting everything up, and. For my co-host, Justin D'Onofrio, I am Steve Risser. We'll be back next week discussing the NFL schedule and talking more about the last dance. Have a great weekend, everybody.